Hello and welcome back to the uh, Aegis Accounting Podcast. Um, I'm even more informal this time. The first time I recorded a video, I had a nice shirt on. Uh, second time, I thought, you know what, I'll dress like I normally do. And the third time, I thought, you know, I'll even have a cup of tea. The uh, <laughs> I've seen so many videos from so many people uh, put on the internet in different styles. And uh, if there's a podcast, you don't know any of this, by the way. You just you, you can have to imagine me now uh, <laughs> drinking a cup of tea. Um, the more comfort and natural way I can convey myself, um, the better the videos turn out. I've tried stuff that's been really contrived before, I've had a whole script, uh, read a whole bunch of stuff, and it just looks wrong. It's not me, uh, and it doesn't come across very nicely. So I'm going to not do any of that. I'm going to try and come across more like myself, which is far more engaging anyway, uh, than uh, you know contrived advertisement-style content. And um, yeah, I'd much rather come across naturally. So that's going to be the start of things moving forward. Today, uh, this uh, podcast is about uh, three things in particular. Uh, number one relevant today on the 31st of January 2020, Brexit Day, um, VAT and uh, what's going on with that. And not a long piece. I don't, as I said in other uh, podcasts and things, I don't like giving an awful lot of tech stuff because mostly it's boring. And secondly, why? Um, you know, it's our job to do it. I don't necessarily need to tell you all about it. It's like, uh, it's not much fun discussing the offside rule. Just know it's there and play and have fun. Uh, I'd, I'd rather take the role of knowing the rules of HMSC and tax and helping you uh, play and have fun in your business and, and make it profitable. I don't want to have long conversations with you about the rules. I can think of nothing more dull for either of us. Um, that's uh, that's our perspective on tax. That's why we don't give a whole bunch of tax advice on videos. But there is a little segment here on Brexit and VAT because basically it's a mess. So there's that. There's a, a little piece on commitment and small business um, and the effect of committing to your small business. How dedicated are you uh, and what effects that really have on growing your business? And the last thing that I discussed at the, at the end of the last one, I said I was going to talk about it, is what we've been concentrating in at Aegis this last previous couple of weeks, which is CRM systems. Um, and we've been making some choices with those. We thought we'd share what we'd, what we'd found. Maybe you'd find it useful. Uh, so Brexit and VAT. Well, uh, I have a little piece of uh, stuff here I have to get. Um, there was a little uh, newsletter that I was uh, I was sent. It's very helpful from a uh, uh, guy's uh, Simple Accounting. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I'm just going to read it out because they've put it best. HMRC have not yet issued any guidance as to how imports and exports to the EU and out with the EU should be recorded for VAT return purposes after 31st January 2020. What happens with the reverse charge and what should be recorded in boxes eight and nine of the VAT return? Yeah, this is the kind of chat you have as accountants, boxes eight and nine. It's nonsense to everybody else. But the point is, we've got no guidance on how to deal with VAT from tomorrow onwards. That's the level we're dealing with with HMRC sometimes, especially when things are fast moving and Brexit's hardly a simple idea. But I just thought I wanted to say that because it's often believed that HMRC is an all-knowing, all-seeing eye of the government and that you should be doing absolutely everything you can to do right by their rules as if their rules are consistent and clear and easy to follow. And they're not always. And they're not always clear within their own departments. Uh, they, uh, they make mistakes. Uh, they're, they're full of humans trying to do the right thing. Let's not make them into a bad guy. They're trying to collect taxes. They're doing it for what we assume is good moral purpose. Okay, But it uh, doesn't mean that they're getting it right and it doesn't mean that everything is uh, goes to that hiccup. And sometimes we have crazy scenarios where we don't have advice on how we should be doing things uh, as accountants or indeed, more importantly, um, the services we use that do lots of tax calculations need 
uh, a good lot of uh, clear rules written in as to how to deal with, with certain things. If we don't have those, how are the people who make the pieces of software that we use, or that you use, for example, maybe using Zero and QuickBooks, if they're trying to apply certain rules, they don't know what to do either. Imagine how much uh, resources they're going to have to throw in as soon as the decision's actually made on how these things should be dealt with, because they're going to have to throw people in, uh, you know, into their uh, workflow to actually make something. I haven't put that one down there. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's not always clear. Uh, what the rules are going to be and with Brexit taking uh, focus away uh, from things that HMRC were planning to do, for example so-called IR35, you don't know what it is, ignore it, it's not important, not important to you if you, if you, uh, yeah, anyway, IR35 is a whole mess, so I'm not going to get into it, I'll maybe talk to it another time, but uh, there's uh, not clear guidance on what will happen with IR35 even though they said there'll be a review of it, um, and there was only the autumn budget statement, which would have given clear ideas as to what the rules of tax would be from April 2020 onwards, didn't happen uh, because of all the things going on with Brexit. Okay, you know, we understand it's busy, it's unclear how you're going to deal with things. At that time, think back way back uh, to autumn, uh, we still didn't know who the Prime Minister was going to be. I mean, you know, there's a lot of turmoil. But that said, we have had it confirmed that there will be a budget statement in, on 11th of March 2020. That's still quite close to April when those changes, if there are any significant changes, will come into effect. And again, the people who write software that enable us to do our job as accountants to tell you how best to allocate your money and your investments and where to put things, how to record things from April 2020 onwards is all totally up in the air when we don't have any guidance as to what the rules will be. Um, and that's, yeah, not a great scenario. But I don't want to go on about it too much. It will get sorted. We get little leaks of data here and there. We've just had an announcement yesterday that's saying what's going on with national insurance rates um, and things like that. So we do get some information uh, and we work as best we can. But if you had in your head the idea that the rules are clear and accountants have an easy job, at least I can... Uh, yeah, disabuse you of that notion. It's a bit of a mess and we do our best to make it work under unclear information. And remember, even HMRC's own calculations as to how they do things sometimes don't agree with uh, the software providers that try to take those rules and turn them into actual code that executes them. And they have long discussions about whether uh, what HMRC say from their guidance that they've implemented is correct or what HMRC say through their calculations, which is slightly different, should be correct. Um, HMRC take people to court and fail regularly. Uh, it's not always clear cut, um, but we know what we're doing with the little information that we have and we make sure things work all right. So yeah, if, if that and how it's going to be affected affects you and you're our client, don't worry, we're all right. If you're not, I hope you've got an accountant, uh, find one, talk to us, you know, we'll see what we have to do. Um, but the advice would be just record you transactions in full detail. You can always make decisions when it comes to return time based on what you've got if you've recorded all your transactions in, in yeah, good detail. So anyway, that aside, tax done, onto something useful. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about was about commitment and, and small business. This is a bit of a personal story really because uh, it's normal in small business I think to have many irons in the fire. Uh, let's say you've got your main thing that you do, your main thing that drives income for your business, but maybe you've got some other things that you do as well. There might be, there might be total side gigs compared to what your business is, or they might be 
things away from your main product or service that also drive some revenue or drive some other benefit, like maybe it gets you out network. Maybe you do speaking at events. That doesn't necessarily immediately drive revenue. It's not like you stand at the back after the event and take sign-ups for your product or service, but maybe that gets you more network um, impact, more, more network and greater impact with that network, and you get to you know, broaden your um, audience that you appeal to, and maybe that helps grow your business. Many irons in the fire is fairly normal. Um, but I particularly recently considered doing something that I think on retrospect was definitely wrong. Um, I was considering uh, taking up a part-time position as a project manager. Uh, there was something coming up locally that looked really good. Um, project management work is well paid, it's what I used to do, and I thought this would be a good idea to maybe uh, diversify a little bit by doing that and being able to concentrate part-time uh, on growing our family, small business, Aegis Accounting, uh, with the pattern of working that I'd come up with that I thought would be able to facilitate that, um, while still being effective, still being able to look after clients, still being able to uh, grow the business with sales and marketing activities, still be able to look after the product that's being counted that we've made, uh, still being able to look after people through uh, Coconut and their managed uh, their, their accounts that they have there, um, being able to do all that thing. I think in retrospect that was probably over-optimistic um, and indeed I sort of cancelled the, the process part way through. But why I'm talking about that and how commitment works in small business is there was an interesting effect that happened that I didn't necessarily anticipate when I seriously considered this. Uh, I'm quite a thorough person so I really went into what would be the effect if I did this? How would growth look for Egypt? Modelled. You know, what, what's, the, what's the modelled effect? Um, what would happen if uh, it was successful? What's the best I could hope for? What's the worst that might happen? Looking in thorough detail, and although I'm writing stuff down and being thorough, what's really happening is I'm imagining it. I'm really going through it in my mind. What would my day be like? What will I do? What are the things that I enjoy about how I live now that would be there or wouldn't be there if I took this choice? And in particular with a small business where you need to retain a passion for at least major elements of what you do as a business, um, it's really important to imagine how each thing that you do is actually going to impact your day and, and how you feel about your business. It's no good having a business that you feel sour about. It's very hard to grow that and you really probably shouldn't. <laughs> you know, find the bits that you're passionate about and work on those. I, I like this. Uh, this is a thing that I, that I enjoy in my, in my previous role in project management. I was lucky enough to give a few presentations. I really enjoyed it. Engaging with, with, with people was something that I really liked. And I liked a lot about project management in general, which is why I considered the role in the first place. Ultimately, it wasn't the right decision. I realised that for a reason, a whole array of reasons, uh, it, it wouldn't be right. And it certainly wouldn't serve the small business that we're in um, as well as I wanted to. I might have felt it could take the pressure off how quickly we could grow because I have another source of income, but it also takes the passion away a little bit and I didn't like that feeling. In fact, I think the unique thing that came from that that is important, I think, the thing I wanted to share about it is really considering your opportunities when they appear in front of you and really thinking them through and then saying no because it's not right. 
has a uniquely galvanising effect on your commitment to the path you were on when you saw the opportunity. And I think that's a really positive thing. It's been said before in many a place, like, countless times I've heard people say that the, the best entrepreneurial leaders say no far more often than they say yes. But I didn't quite realise that the internal benefit of saying no to something was exactly how powerfully that keeps you on the track that you were already on. And I felt like that was a, something that opened up an awful lot of uh, ability to see opportunity. So that came from that as well. Seriously considering doing something else and then looking back at what I was doing um, and then saying no to this option and moving forward with the way that I, I knew long term I wanted to do anyway, uh, I felt propelled. I felt propelled by it. So uh, commitment, I think, is hard to manufacture, but saying no to opportunities that come along that you've seriously thought through, because actually what you're doing is more important, uh, I think that's, that can really boost that commitment uh, to, to what it is that you're doing. Um, and genuinely give you some energy to move forward. I mean, this, you know, this podcast has only started since that has happened. Um, yes, I think it's powerful. Anyway, I hope that uh, random motivationally sort of thing was helpful. But now the uh, crux of the matter, the real nuts and bolts thing that we've been considering the last couple of weeks, CRMs. Now, uh, uh, customer or client relationship management uh, software, basically. And, uh, well, why, why do you need it? I mean, why not just like a, a spreadsheet? Uh, I am naturally very bad at maintaining relationships. It's not that I'm bad with people. I love meeting people. I love really, you know, caring about what they're into, really sort of, you know, giving them value and, 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 and helping people out and, and, and getting back in touch with them weeks later to see how things happened and all of that. I really like it. I'm just no good at the process of it without some tool. I need something to prompt me. I mean, there are friends I haven't talked to in months that I will only realise that I haven't talked to them in months when something pops up in front of me uh, with their name on it and go, oh, God, I haven't spoken to them for so long. Um, and that's hardly unusual in a small business. I mean, we're busy. Uh, it's easy to forget, you know, uh, to do these things that are really important, uh, engaging with people. And, and back when I was doing project management, we had a tool for that, which was the stakeholder engagement plan um, or stakeholder communication plan and or communication plan or some combination of the two. But the idea is that you would have some plan that would tell you how you would reach out to key stakeholder groups in, in, in your projects. And that would be like a, a bare bones thing upon which you would hang your communications plan. You'd say, okay, well, I'm going to talk to these people every month. I'm going to talk to these people every week. And I'm going to talk to these people with some face-to-face -face time that's really in-depth, maybe once a quarter. I'm going to have a, like a really in-depth meeting and a catch-up and, and really help them feel close and engaged with the, with the project. I was involved in a lot of projects that had the overall aim of bringing change to an organisation. And in those scenarios, it's really important to bring people on board in a way that is like a two-way conversation. Uh, change done to people is terribly ineffective. Change done with people or through people by their own agency affecting change because they buy into the vision, the strategy, the overall programme and thus the little project that you've got to deliver a little part of it. Uh, that's very powerful. So having that plan is, is a really central part, but I don't have that for what project managers tend to refer to as business as usual. As usual. Uh, going about your day as a small business um, 
those tools, I mean those tools are a spreadsheet that I referred to really, uh, and that's not quite right. So I wanted something that was a little bit more effective for me, uh, that would remind me to get in contact to a bunch of people, that I could build some habits around. So that if I logged into my CRM in the morning, it would tell me there's these people that you should be staying in touch with. You haven't spoken to this guy in this long. You haven't spoken to, to this lady that you met that time. You haven't got back to her over the last week or so. You should be in contact. Um, so that you can keep those relationships going that are valuable. Not both ways valuable. Um, uh, you know, it's not, it's not in a way of like, uh, I want to make sure I, uh, uh, you know, elbow a lot of people regularly so they remember who I am. It's that I value these relationships and I want to make sure that I continue to nurture them because they're important to me uh, and hopefully to them. Um, but it doesn't work even if you don't put in the work. Um, so that's why I need a, a, a CRM system to do that. Otherwise, I'll forget. I don't have those prompts and I can't hang a habit on a spreadsheet effectively. It just doesn't work for me. Throwing a whole bunch of stuff on a screen is no good. Dashboards are incredibly valuable uh, to show you what's important now so that when you load it up, your action is nearly immediate. The more steps between you and the first thing you need to do, the harder it is. Um, so it's something that needs to be needs to be easy for the habits you want to have um, and I think habits are a really important thing I'd love to talk about that in the future in a future podcast in a little bit more depth I think they're very very important um, there's a saying in, in uh, project management and change management that, that culture eats strategy for breakfast um, and it's, uh, it's a great saying you know if your company has, a, has an attitude where everyone everyone comes in chilled with coffee between nine and ten they chat generally at the water cooler they get down to work and then through I don't know some, some good effect of that then the good work comes out but you try and put in a strategy that says everyone's gonna have nine o'clock meetings good luck you know, this is, the culture is not right for that. You end up annoying a lot of people and whatever it is you wanted probably had a better way of implementing it that was more aware of the culture that is there. Um, and I think the way that that sort of translates from groups and organisations down to individuals is it's like habits. <laughs> habits eat plans for breakfast. <laughs> whatever your individual plans are, if you don't have habits that actually contribute to making those things happen, um, it's, a, it's a big fight. It's a big fight to make those things happen. Um, so for example, I've just, uh, anyway, I'm going to save that. <laughs> I've got lots to talk about that. Do that another time. Back to the CRMs. Um, we had a look at loads. So let's go through a few that we, that we rested upon in the end and why. And I say a few because actually it depended upon what habits we wanted to apply. There's three of us in the business. One does batches of work for a single client. The CRM is not really that important because you get into it, you do the work, and then you come back out of it. Um, that's, so for example, in bookkeeping, that might be, you might not necessarily need an awful lot of CRM around that. That's not really that important. You might take on the work, do some work, have some questions, send the questions. The only thing you might need is some, a reminder to chase up if you don't get answers to your questions. So that necessarily, not necessarily a huge requirement. Uh, from the accounting perspective, you have to do a lot more. I'm going to check that's still recording because I heard a click. There you go, warts and all. I told you it would be light editing. Um, it did click. It's still recording. Um, 
from an accounting perspective, you have to make sure that you have all the right things that you need all the right time. There's a set process that you're going to be taking each client through from onboarding to uh, getting them set up with uh, us acting as their agent uh, through to you know, basically looking after the work of doing the job with the client. Um, and that's, that's something that I think CRM is very aimed towards making sure you have good relationships with your clients and that you are maybe a bit of task management for the things you need to do with them. Mostly a place where you can see the communications that everyone has had with that person, what they've talked about, what they've done. Um, and, uh, and so you know where things stand. If there's more than one of you dealing with a client, you don't want to have to have a quick conversation with everybody in the business just to know what the last thing was said to them. Um, it's just not efficient. So a CRM is very good for that. So client relationship management, when they're in the business and they're one of your clients and you look after them, that's one facet of it. The other facet is sales. When you're trying to reach new people, but they're not necessarily clients yet, um, they may only be leads, you don't really know them at all, uh, or they may be something completely different and tangential to that. They may be someone who's very influential in their sphere. And you like being close to them and, and understanding more about them and seeing whether you can help them in any way and naturally whether you're able to reach into each other's network in any way to you know, benefit you both. That's the kind of thing that a sales and marketing person like myself would need from a CRM. So they're very different needs. I think only one platform has properly acknowledged that these are really different. No, two, two that I'm aware of, HubSpot and Zendesk. They both have very different facets to an underlying CRM technology. I think both of them, I think HubSpot call it marketing packages, sales package or, um, or service package. And Zendesk has their, um, their customer service element. They also have a sales um, sales bits and pieces, but they've really understood that CRM has different aspects and they've got one underlying thing. And that's not necessarily the only way of doing it, and it's not the way that we've chosen, actually. Uh, so we looked at uh, one that would be most effective for managing tasks and a client relationship, which is not a massive feature set for a CRM, and so we think shouldn't be too expensive for a CRM and we've settled with Capsule. We're quite happy with Capsule so far. We really did look at loads um, to figure out what would work. And again, what would work from the perspective of the habits of the person who will be using it? What is easiest? When you load it up, what's in front of you? Does it help you do the work you need to do? And if it does, that's good. If it doesn't, can you make it work? Do you want to? The harder it is to get started, the harder it'll be. So it really should be something that serves you. From a sales CRM perspective, I settled with Nimble. The reason being is that I'm not trying to do an awful lot of face-to-face -face sales. I'm mostly trying to engage people that have come through digital outreach ways. I like to help people on the internet, basically. It's, you know, it's just a thing that I like to do. And then I hope some of those people will become future clients. So part of that is trying to, you know, someone may be only a username to me. Um, I generally want to help them. And hopefully some percentage of those people will also want to become media accounting clients. And that will be great, but I won't be able to do that if I don't have a system. And I don't think for me, it's feasible to have say my Facebook inbox service that, my LinkedIn inbox service that, Pinterest's thing service that, all the very, all the, all the different places we are have their own methods 
of getting to and from, you know, of me using it to reach people and uh, me uh, receiving uh, messages or comments or interaction from, from other people through it. And they don't necessarily, the platforms aren't geared for that. They're not trying to help you in your sales function. They're geared to keep you in as a consumer, locked in the habit of flicking through your feed, whatever feed that is. And I find that quite distracting. If I open up Facebook and I want to interact with people I care about, um, I will be distracted by a vast array of adverts. I'll be distracted by uh, family who, and, and their posts and things that they're doing, which I'll find very interesting, but it's not what I'm trying to do right now. Um, so I find that, remember that's how they're designed. These platforms, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, they are designed for massive amounts of dopamine hits to keep you addicted to that feed. And if you're trying to do works with that platform, I don't think that's helpful. So I prefer to stay off the platform until I'm ready to reach out and then to spend some specific time on the platform looking at the inbox, uh, the, uh, the inbox there and flicking through that's dedicated to it and then I step away from it. Um, I, I am a millennial, I think, last time I checked the definition, um, you know, I was born in 83, but I was born where the internet sort of wasn't there, and certainly social media wasn't there. And I do find it a little odd how I feel manipulated by the feeds. Not everybody does. I do. I, I, I feel it, and it gets annoying. There's only so much I can view a social media feed before I feel fatigue, um, and it's distracting. So a CRM that I, a requirement for me is to be able to engage with a social platform at a distance. Um, Nimble seems to have had a history of being a social CRM that integrates with social platforms. I believe Facebook and LinkedIn take, took away some of the integration that they were able to make so much use of historically, but it's still there to some effect. What's also there, which is great for me as a technical person, is a fantastic, uh, easy to use API, which means I can manually get stuff in through the code that I can write. I can make it more productive for myself than it is uh, naturally. And most importantly, that dashboard, that thing that it presents to me first and foremost, is exactly what I need to see. There are deals in the pipeline, there are people I need to stay in touch, there are social signals from people I am generally interacting with, uh, bubbled up to the surface. This, this dashboard view is something that actually helps me sit down and do work. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. So that's what I wanted to sort of to say that I think hopefully will help you as a small business. If you are looking at CRMs, think about it from these perspectives. They don't necessarily have to be the same. There's a great service called PySync. If you use Nimble, they will synchronize 2000 contacts with different platforms through PySync for free, at least at the time being, at the time of recording. That's fantastic. And we use it to synchronize our contacts between Capsule, which we use for onboarded clients and Nimble, which we use for leads, uh, all, all of the you know, thousands more potential clients that may never make it to that platform. Also with Google Contacts, so that on my Android phone, if someone rings and they're in my CRM, then I know who they are because their name comes up when they ring. That's really valuable to me. So I also very much like that about Nimble, this, this PySync offering for 2000 contacts kept synchronized across platforms. Brilliant, really pleased with that. Um, and yeah, very pleased that I can use uh, things from the bean counter, for example, if a client is interacting with us, I can use 
APIs called from the bean counter to put that out into my CRM. So I really do know what's going on with a given client at any point of time uh, just by bringing up their record and seeing a, an activity list right there. Um, keeping that activity list in exact synchronization with Capsule might be a bit more challenging, but I know there are APIs for both. and I know I'll be able to do it if I really turn my, uh, you know, turn my mind to it. Um, so I think when you're deciding on a CRM, you need to decide who's going to use it. What are they going to use it for? And if it's sales and marketing, do you mean you're predominantly doing sales start outreach or you're predominantly waiting for people to be coming in? Um, there are different platforms that seem to have a different angle on both. Are you predominantly digital and social? Nimble seems great for that. Or are you uh, predominantly uh, doing uh, LinkedIn? Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a slightly better thing for specifically LinkedIn. I don't know, if, you, if you're not on multiple platforms, maybe that's, maybe that's better. But I like something that's general enough that can also capture my face-to-face you know, -face stuff. You know, I go to networking events, I like to meet people, I want that to be able to be uh, managed in one place. That would make it most useful. Um, even if I have to use an API link from that one place to our other one place so that they're kept in sync. Um, so know what you're going to use it for. Know what habits you are going to use with that platform. What are you going to do when you sit down first thing in the morning, you sit down with your cup of tea that's gone cold because you're not drinking any of it, and uh, you, um, what are you going to do? And you'll load it up, and you're going to make calls, are you going to send emails, are you going to touch people? Touch people's the wrong way to, I don't like that phrase, that's wrong. Are you going to send messages to people on various platforms? It's reminded me so far to say thank you to people. That was really nice. That's a really positive thing from a CRM. It reminded me that I should thank some people who helped me, who helped me um, because of the systems that I, and the habits that I employ with the system. Um, Nimble being a sales focused CRM is more expensive than Capsule that is more of a client management CRM. But since I don't need uh, two licenses of one and I can have one of the cheaper ones, it works out right for our business. So keep the price in mind compared to how you will actually use it. And yeah, what dashboard will it show you? Going back to that thing of LinkedIn's power and Facebook's power to distract you and keep you scrolling on their platform. I know Facebook are moving to caring more about quality time on the platform, I think it's a great move, but they've still got all of this stuff in here designed to give you those dopamine hits. This is the other, like the total opposite of that. Their design is to enable you to do the thing you intend to do with it as effectively as possible, rather than to suck you into the rabbit hole of an endless feed. So what is that thing that you intend to do with it? And does it present that information to you in the right way? Because frankly, nearly all of them will have the same features for recording telephone numbers, emails, or putting tags on them and things like that. So that shouldn't be your differentiating factor, really, uh, unless there's some bizarre limit of contacts that you're coming up against. But yes, hopefully this way of thinking about how you should be using a CRM and how you should therefore decide for you and your business what is the right one to go for, I hope that's been helpful. That's the kind of thing that I want to do much more of on the podcast in weeks to come. Uh, and as I say, I must, I must talk more about the value of uh, good habits and, uh, and in particular, uh, the value of gateway habits, uh, those first bits of the habit that you do that seem to have a topple uh, like a, a trickle-down effect into the rest of the day or the rest of that uh, that thing that's everywhere. I'd love to talk about it another time, but that's not for now. Um, we've talked about Brexit and VAT and how HMRC don't necessarily always give us the best advice or follow their own. Um, and so accounting's fun, isn't it? And we've talked about commitment, 
uh, and small business and how being committed in your small business can come from saying no to opportunities that you've thought about in depth, how that can be really galvanizing for moving, for moving forward. And we've talked about CRMs and how you might be able to choose one. I hope you found something in, of value in this. Um, I like the format. I like keeping it quite conversational. I like being um, uh, not too contrived or script-led. Um, I've, you know, I've got three bullet points here and I've just talked. Uh, hopefully you've liked it. Uh, if you have, on whatever platform you are, if you can like, like it, if that's a thing, that would be great. I know in particular on YouTube, like a like is really valuable because most people don't bother. Uh, so if you do, that's great. Uh, even better, share it. Uh, there'll be some show notes with links to various things. There might be some affiliate links in there because many irons in the file or a small business. It'll only be a few quid, but it might help. If we've helped you and you use an affiliate link, you'd be helping us. That'd be great. Um, yeah. There'll be show notes. There'll be a place to subscribe if you want to get more of this content uh, sent straight to your inbox rather than having to find it on whatever platform. You know, I've even disabled YouTube's like alerts. I, I found so many videos that I really liked, but there were so many alerts and then I just turned them off completely. So if you want to get this sent to you so that you know that you do get it, uh, then yeah, uh, sign up. There'll be an email sign up somewhere in these show notes. Anyway, Thank you very much for listening, watching, whichever you're doing, and I hope to talk to you next time with something on habits. I think that'd be good. Thanks. Bye.